Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to my podcast, Coffees on Me, David Kwan, where I strive to give guests legacy-worthy interviews that listeners can enjoy while cooking, commuting, relaxing, or walking their pets. This is a very special episode um, recorded in London uh, with my guest who has come all the way from Adelaide, Australia. I've known him for many years and have been very proud of his um, growth and achievement, and he's here on uni holidays um, and here for 10 days, Daniel? Yes. Cool. And he's currently enjoying a cappuccino, I believe. Um, I feel very blessed that we're now approaching the next milestone of 100,000 podcast downloads, which is really cool. Um, Please know that I don't take any of your time, feedback and support for granted, because when I started this Passion Project podcast at a low point of my time in Cambridge, I was genuinely motivated by three founding ideals. Number one, purpose of giving. Number two, learning from others. And number three, sharing of stories. These three aspirations still make up the content description for every single episode. Indeed, the opportunities to strive to give my courageous and insightful guests legacy-worthy interviews over coffee, tea, bubble tea, water, juice, or whatever it is, despite my many inadequacies, have been a tremendous privilege that imbues me with gratitude. I know that I will look back and listen back to life at how naive I am. But if you have been enjoying the discussions on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, thank you. And please do consider leaving a review and nominating a guest by contacting me via my link tree, David Kwan. Seeing this podcast on people's Spotify raps or receiving positive messages about the guests give me tremendous fulfillment. I cannot thank my wonderful guests enough for their courage and insights. I genuinely maintain the deep conviction that this passion project, if wholly true to those founding motivations about giving, learning and sharing, is a worthwhile pursuit. So on to my very talented and important guest, and in fact his biography is taken right from a UNICEF um, publication. Daniel Joseph Derson is a compassionate and driven individual, currently pursuing the Bachelor of Medical Studies Doctor of Medicine at the University of Adelaide. With a deep-rooted belief in the power of compassion and kindness, he strives to effect positive change for those who are unable to do so themselves. Having developed a passion for healthcare, Daniel has actively engaged in the international health arena, dedicating nearly six years of his life to working with UNICEF. Throughout his journey, he has made significant contributions to numerous local and global projects, leaving a lasting impact. Notable among his endeavours are the Red Zoo Humanitarian Crisis Appeal, the Middle East System Strengthening Initiative, and the Sport for Development Appeal. He has been an invited speaker to the Australian Human Rights Commission and led the Commission's Mental Health Roundtable on issues such as youth mental health during the pandemic. His work has opened up a wealth of opportunities, including presenting the World Cup trophy during the 2022 ICC Cricket World Cup in Australia and creating promotional material for the Australian Open. In his spare time, Daniel is an avid cricketer and multi-instrumentalist, having been in his school's Big Band One. He now plays with the Adelaide University Medical Orchestra and Big Bands in addition to his studies. Having completed the South Australia Certificate of Education in 2022 with a very, very high score, do you mind me sharing your score, with a 99.9, which is a percentile ranking that puts him in the top 0.1% in the country, um, Daniel started a tutoring business where he offers help to Year 12 students, particularly those looking to pursue a career in medicine. Upon completing his medical training, 
Daniel hopes to become the kind of doctor that delivers an all-encompassing style of healthcare, creating a meaningful relationship with patients in order to effectuate positive change. His personal convictions shine through in his own words. In an interview with Unichef Australia, Daniel stated that he, quote-unquote, wants to be a voice that speaks on behalf of those whose voices are drowned out in the world. Guided by this principle, he aspires to create a world where equity prevails, enabling every child to pursue their own dreams and ambitions. Daniel, welcome to my podcast, Coffee Tommy, David Cron. Thanks, David, so much for having me here. It's a great privilege to be able to catch up with you again. Definitely. Little do we know that um, the first encounter at a swimming carnival would lead to a conversation in London. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to give a broad overview of what you have been up to just after Saints and maybe we can revert back to Saints and reminisce some of the great memories we've had together? Yeah, sure. So obviously year 12 was quite a big milestone to get through for me. Um, it was a little bit stressful um, just trying to, to get into medicine. Um, but since then, yeah, I really had that summer holiday break um, as a time to kind of relax and unwind after what was a big year. Um, I did some traveling around. I went to Sydney um, where I'd also been working with UNICEF um, and I had a bit of a, a holiday there. I um, played a little bit of cricket um, in a, a match between the MPs and UNICEF Australia, um, which was quite an interesting charity game. Um, and then I returned home and, and kind of caught up with friends quite a lot, um, started playing for the Saints Old Collegians in cricket as well. Um, and really just took the time to reflect on, on where I wanted to go and what I wanted to, to kind of do because I'd accepted a career, um, I'd accepted a degree in medicine um, and I wanted to look where I wanted that career to go um, in terms of, I guess, not just being a doctor but being a global provider of health. And that's really what uh, I guess I wanted to, to achieve um, and that's a real passion of mine is, is global health, public health rather than just pure medicine, I guess. I remember in our chats um, you mentioned how you had a particular interest in like the study of kidneys due to some family um, background and just some occurrences. Um, is that still the yeah, case? Yeah, definitely. That's um, it's obviously I think quite your a, uncle. And... Yeah, that's quite a um, a special, I guess, area of medicine for me, just because of my, I guess, family experiences with kidney disease. Um, it's one of the biggest chronic diseases and and one of the biggest burdens on the health system in Australia, in particular. Um, and also having had uncles and relatives pass away due to kidney disease, it's, it's one that's quite close to me. Um, I think, yeah, a career in transplant medicine, particularly kidney transplants, is something that I really am thinking of, of doing. But obviously, it's really early on. I've got another six years of medical studies before I even need to decide on a specialty. Um, but yeah, definitely, yeah, the area of nephrology and, and kidneys is something that definitely... Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were in... Yes, seven, I believe I remember you telling me about your trip to Fiji. Yes. It was a philanthropic yeah. trip, and I think that was a trip where it shows you, um, maybe not your exact words, but I'm trying to recollect you would share with me how that inspired you to then um, recognise some of the shortages and the difficulties that the medical profession faced worldwide, and then you became a UNICEF volunteer. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct, actually. So, yeah, that trip in 2017 was for the International Society of Nephrology. So it's a, a group of, um, of global kidney specialists, um, and they were going to Fiji in, um, in Suva and Lotoka, which are two remote areas in Fiji, um, and they were just trying to advocate about the importance of kidney health because it's an area that doesn't have a great deal of health literacy and not a lot of education on 
why maintaining our kidneys' health is so important. Um, and because of that, Fiji has one of the biggest, um, I guess, biggest incidences of kidney disease. So the International Society of Nephrology came to hold this symposium almost as an intervention, um, not only for patients of chronic kidney disease, but also to the fleeting number of nephrologists that actually work in Fiji. And I was just a volunteer. Obviously, I have no medical training at that point in my life. But it was something that really opened my eyes up to the, I guess, disparities in the healthcare system. Because on the one hand, we've got Australia with our, I guess, five major hospitals in South Australia alone, um, among the other, I guess, local clinics and community hospitals as well. Whereas in Fiji, they had one hospital in that location, um, which was accessible to patients. And it was very rundown, very underfunded, and its staff shortage was immense. And I think it really just showed how much health can vary across the world. Um, and it brings me to something you mentioned just earlier in our chat before about how you can bring about the greatest change in areas where there's disparities, where there's disadvantage. And you were talking about it through the lens of education. And I think health education is, is pretty similar in that, that you can, like, you can bring about the greatest change in areas that are disadvantaged themselves. And um, so far in your first semester of medical studies, have you been surprised either in a good way or a bad way about any of those previous um i guess understandings that you've had through your volunteering trips um i think i'm not at the stage yet that it's it's really um it's really become apparent to me just because i haven't done any rural placements yet um so most of my i guess most of my experience in university has been either in the medical school in the simulation hospitals or at the royal adelaide hospital which is obviously quite an affluent hospital um, compared to many of the other ones around the state. Um, but speaking to a lot of the older students, um, they have noticed some quite significant disparities between rural and remote Australia and then the hospitals close to home in Adelaide. And I think that's something I'm really looking forward to taking on as a challenge. Um, maybe applying for an internship in a rural hospital. It's something that I would definitely um, consider. Um, and my work with UNICEF has taken me to some I guess, less privileged healthcare settings um, with vaccine programs and things like that. And I have, I'm very aware of the disparities that exist, not only just worldwide, but also in our local, in our state. You've done a fair bit of work for UNICEF and a lot of it has been, you know, fundraising and raising awareness. Um, are there general, court, uh, sorry, not courses, but are there general problems that you have recognised yourself relating, for example, to a lack of funding or lack of awareness of certain things, or does it really depend on the specific course? Yes, yeah, so I was, um, in 2022, I was the National Young Ambassador for South Australia. So in that, I had a very specific focus on the problems in our state. Um, and I guess the ones that we identified as the main ones were, I guess, mental health and awareness, education, treatment, particularly in children and young people, so aged probably 10 to 24, um, and then also education access. And they're two very different um, issues, but they were equally important. Um, and I guess mental health was one that really kind of resonated with me because I was going through the high school experience, and that's where research shows a lot of the mental health um, problems and concerns do come up in high school and tertiary education. And speaking to students from all around the state, so I did a, a few trips to different parts of South Australia to speak with the students in a kind of 
anonymous environment. And it really did expose me to, I guess, the disparities in access to mental health care that, for instance, I would be able to receive as a student at St. Peter's versus a student at a school that doesn't have access to their own counsellors, doesn't have access to mental health education, and doesn't have access to a GP in an immediate area that they can call upon when they need help. I think Saints, um, especially with um, you know Mr. Murray's kind of leadership and focusing on like positive education and their investment into mental health, I think we, we we've really done a good job of de uh, stigmatizing it. You know, just the Beyond Blue weeks, the availability of counselling, and just the prevalence of people going to counselling. And I, I was definitely one of the people who tried um, to make um, to, to to take that trip to recognise that. You know, there, there, there's more than just um, mental illness and normality, but there's also a higher state of flourishing that we should all um, aspire towards. To so, for you um, having located that, um, yeah, the, the the issues concerning mental health and also going through, as you said, the the stresses of high school and the high expectations that you placed on yourself. How did you go about maintaining and? Um, maintaining your mental health but also boosting your well-being yeah so that's um, I guess it's quite a complex question to unpack Um, but I will say the first thing that kind of helped me was to identify that it's okay to not feel okay all of the time and that's completely natural and I think I found within my group of friends as well there were some days where we'd be feeling really great about ourselves some days we probably wouldn't Um, and I think identifying that that's normal and that's okay is kind of the first step Um, So I would say having a strong friendship group throughout year 12 was something that was really important because we're able to rely on each other. We're all aspiring for the same things. We're all going through the same journey and our experiences may or may not be the same, but that's that's okay. Um, And I think also not being afraid to, I guess, reach out to others, whether that be through staff members, teachers, mentors and, and other friends. I think that's really, really important. Something else that Saints, I think, does really well is with the house and mental system where, you know, everyone instantly has a group that they meet regularly and having that mentor who you can chat to and build a strong relationship with, not to mention all the extracurriculars that um, are on offer that you definitely uh, had taken full advantage of. I think you did more than three sports, you know, playing, refereeing and, you know, up to like 20 different ensembles and it's quite um, remarkable what you've done. But how did you find... Um, how did you go about forming friendship? Was it more coincidental in the sense that, oh, you just saw them regularly as part of a hobby or did you make an kind of intentional effort to catch up or to spend time with a certain group of people? Yeah, so that's, again, it's difficult to answer. But I think one thing about saints that is very common with a lot of big institutions is that by mere exposure, you're going to make a lot of friends. Um, just by the number of ensembles and groups that you kind of get yourself involved with. So I know I played in, yeah, I think about 20 or so ensembles. Four different instruments. Four different instruments. Um, I was in, yeah, I played cricket, I played soccer. Um, I was involved in a lot of service learning initiatives at the school as well. There's the house system, there's the academic programs as well. Um, There's just so much to be involved with at Saints that you're going to make friends even without needing to, to, I guess, actively put an effort for it. Um, but I think that didn't stop me from wanting to get to know people. I know um, that's something a lot of successful people do is just try and 
build relationships with people. And I know that's something you did really um, quite intentionally and very well um, at school. I think there was a time you were trying to get to know every student in the house um, when you started being house captain. Um, and that was something that I really appreciated as a year eight who didn't really know many of the older kids in school. Um, I remember you gave me a phone call in the summer holidays, um, just reaching out, just saying, hey, I'm David, I'm here. Just um, if you want to talk about anything to do with the school, the house, anything, um, I'm here. And I think that's something I really appreciated from one of the older students because I didn't really know too many people from your cohort, apart from the ones that I was in immediate ensembles with. Um, and I think that's something I still remember to this day and a lot of the students talk about. It's, it's kind of putting yourself out there as a leader. And that's something we all really appreciated because it makes the job of, I guess, getting to know people a little bit easier if you're new to the school or new to the senior school and things like that. Well, that's very kind. And um, I, I think uh, we're, we're both quite similar in that we recognise that um, none of us get through life alone and that um, when we have received so much, we have a um, duty and obligation to pay it forward. And so, so I think the Christian values of service, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, um, are very much um, not just words, but actions that should be lived out. And I think I, I definitely benefited a lot from the leadership of the older students. And all I was, I guess, trying to do was to pay a bit of that forward. And I'm, I'm very appreciative that you still remember that. Um, hope you don't mind me embarrassing you that you mentioned the phone call and I just got up my notes uh, from that time. Um, I, I, I'll read out the parts that I think are quite um, worthwhile to reflect okay. on at this point. Sure. Um, good to keep it in the memory. So this was twenty at the start of 2018, so you yeah. would have been... It was the summer holidays before you ate. Yeah, so it was warm and it was hot and you were yeah. probably playing cricket and definitely not expecting a call. But I, I, I firstly called and mum answered and mum mentioned, so this is my notes, uh, mum mentioned that Daniel has been extremely stressed out um, Daniel is afraid of overloading his schedule, which I think did become a problem, so that he can't fulfill his academic desires. Mum wants me to help talk him through this, and hopefully he can keep up his extracurricular and live a balanced life. And then the call switched to you, and um, you said you've been amazing, there has been no stress, and I put dot, 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 I was thinking, this doesn't add up. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned you were keen for school and most excited for the house wiki, which is good memory. <laughs> which I don't think has been updated since I graduated. But yeah. Yeah. And then you said, nervously, um, you want to do great this year at school academically. And I put in my notes, which I can show you in capital. Um, just keep an eye out for Daniel. <laughs> yeah. So I guess now the other side of... Yeah. School, you know, we talk about here academic desires, you know, you're one of the very top achievers, you've got into the course that you wanted to, uh, you've not only overloaded your schedule and lived a balanced life, but you've really excelled and flourished through it. Um, how do you, yeah, how, how do you feel when you hear these notes of, you know, a memory from five years ago and I mean, the progresses I, you've made? I can remember it very clearly, actually, that <laughs> I was sitting on the, sitting on the couch, I remember my mom had transferred yeah, the call. Um, and I remember I was just thinking, oh, I'm so stressed now. I don't want to, I don't want to stop thinking about school already. But when I, when I look back, I actually think the kind of things that I was worrying about, they were so insignificant in the whole scheme of everything. But in that particular moment, they felt so important to me. And I think that's something 
that's a good lesson to learn about life. A lot of things will seem really important at the time, um, but in the scheme of things, they're just minor specks in, in like a massive world. And I think that's something that's a really important lesson to learn. I think also sometimes the hard part is not just not recognizing how small the thing it is, but it's precisely that you do recognize how small the yeah. thing it is, but yet you can't bring your emotions to overcome it. And exactly. you then become annoyed that you're annoyed at this thing. <laughs> fixating on something so small. Yeah, no, I yeah, but, it, it, yeah. but you're fixating on that you're fixating on something so small. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's definitely uh, still a problem that I face is just small things come up during the day. I'm like, oh, I'm so annoyed. And then instantly I'll become, well, why am I annoyed? And so I then become annoyed at why I'm annoyed. And I become annoyed. It's almost like annoyed a positive feedback loop that just keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, you were one of the early recipients of the service learning medal, um, yeah. fourth or fifth? I think, yeah, fifth. Fifth. Um, what does the service learning medal mean? Yeah, so I guess... It's, it's a reflection of my ongoing commitment to service. And I think you're one of the people that was a real inspiration in like those earlier, um, earlier, earlier years. So I started getting involved in service learning in year seven. And I think what really kickstarted it was that trip to Fiji that we were talking about before. Um, now, I think the service learning medal is about 150 hours of service. I've done a lot more since then because it's been something that I'm really passionate about. And even now outside of school, I'm still working with UNICEF, um, basically to the extent of a part-time job, um, because I really, really enjoy that experience of, I guess, helping others in disadvantaged situations, but also acting as an advocate for these issues that are really, in my opinion, quite urgent. Um, and that's something that I really, I really, I guess, have gotten involved with over the years, and my passion has grown throughout. Um, and I think today, um, Actually, this morning, um, Daniel Spivey was awarded the, I think he was number seven for the service learning medal. Oh, so I saw that post on Instagram Daniel. this morning. Yeah, yeah so yeah. he's another really worthy recipient. Um, and I think that shows that the service culture at Saints is still going really strong. Um, and it's definitely, that's definitely one of my, I guess, biggest positive experiences of the school was the service learning program um, and how it developed and how it developed um, my character throughout the six years in the senior school. When you say it's grown, what does that mean? So I think Saints has very much moved away from a community where they have their own projects and they encourage students to engage in that more to Saints is encouraging students to get involved in their own communities and external communities um, and try and make a difference in the broader South Australian and global community. Um, and I know you were involved in, I believe, Norwood basketball quite heavily. Um, and I think that's a good example of like you can go out of the Saints community and make a change and a difference on other people's lives that are beyond that. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of um, Saints students are very privileged, um, and it's it's often quite difficult to make meaningful change. Do you think while many Saints students recognise that privilege? I think many Saints students will, but it may not happen while they're at the school. And I think myself included, um, as much as I don't like to admit it, I think I took a lot of it for granted while I was at the school. But now, I guess, um, having graduated, going back and looking upon what the students are getting and having spoken to a lot of other students um, and other peers 
that weren't able to have those experiences, it kind of puts my high school experience in perspective. And I think a good example of that is one of my colleagues at UNICEF. Um, she's similar age to me, but she undertook her year 12 um, partly, I guess, in a refugee home, um, in a share house. Um, and she had fled Afghanistan when she was in year 10. Um, she was held in a detention center in Pakistan for a while and managed to make her way to Australia. And I think my experience of year 12 could not have been more different to hers. Yet we're ending up in the same position. Um, we're working together and it's really an inspiration, but it also shows that I was very lucky in my experience of everything, my childhood, my year 12. Um, and it's not something I should take for granted, but it did take, I guess, moving on from that community a little bit to understand how privileged I was. I guess on the surface, it doesn't seem like you're someone who's taken things for granted, you know, just the sheer volumes and depth of things that you have involved yourself in, not only like academically taking on like extra subjects and thinking like co-curricular with all the musical ensembles, uh, debating the sport, um, the volunteering that you've done with tutoring, you know, not Lisa Unichef and, you know, I think you also did like Relay for Life. Um, you were helping with like food and then also like all the house magazines that you produced um, for like maybe three or four consecutive years after me. Um, so, so when you talk about like things that you take for granted, if you were to redo Saints, how different would it look and would you have done more? Would you have done things differently? If I'm being honest, I probably wouldn't have done things differently. I feel that yeah. I was I was pretty pretty engaged in the um, in the school community, and I don't have don't have any regrets um, about my time at Saints. Yeah. But it's more so I never really truly realised how lucky I was at the time. Mm. Um, and I think I guess it, it's not so a matter of, of actions, but rather a matter of perspective. Mm. Um, I, I guess my perspective was a little bit clouded when I was at the school, but I think that is. It's it is normal and it's understandable. Yeah. Um, but I guess something that I've realised now is how lucky I am compared to the vast majority of, of students. So when you were at Saints, um, did your parents talk to you about Saints and what it meant? Um, I think they, they did, but um, I guess it's that that wasn't really something that I took in quite a lot. Um, I guess what they would always say is, oh, we're paying so much money for you to so make the most of the experience. And I think that is something that I definitely took on board. Um, but in terms of just the meaning of, of the school and what it represents, I don't really think I understood that um, until I... So if we unpack it now, like, Saints, you know, our, our school motto, Purdue Air Patria, Forgotten Country, what does that actually mean to you? Yes, I think it's... Um, it's interesting, actually, because the motto is probably 175 years old, um, and it was based on the Anglican ethos that the school was, I guess, founded upon. But it still, it still kind of resonates today, even though it's not in the most literal sense. So obviously, we're not an all Anglican school now. We're not an all Christian school in terms of the student body. Um, and also, there may not be as many opportunities to represent your country, to represent your people, things like that. Um, and I think it's still just as important to think in terms of representing your beliefs. And that's, I think, what For God is really about, what you believe, what your morals are, um, what your values are. And then also for country is more so representing 
the greater people, whether that be the school body, the South Australian community, or the Australian community. It's acting in the best way for others and in the best way that aligns with your beliefs. Um, and I think that's why the motto is so powerful, even though it may not, I guess, resonate with a lot of people that may not feel patriotic, they may not feel a religious or spiritual connection, but it's so strong because of what it represents, I guess. And is that what resonated with you? That's what resonated with me. I wouldn't say that I'm a, um, a Christian and I wouldn't say that I'm an overly patriotic person, but the idea of, I guess, acting in the way that, that represents myself as part of a group and the way of, of standing true to my morals, my values, and what I think is, is correct and is the right thing to do, that does really resonate with me quite a lot. And um, you came to Saints in 2011. Um, how old were you then? Uh, I think I was six or five. You were six or five, so you've been a Saints boy throughout. Yep. Did you go to a... Any... I was at Rose Park. Um, okay. In the elementary, but yeah, mm. basically all Saints. Nice, nice. And um, who were your teachers like every year, I guess, in like primary school? Do you remember them and yeah, I your do. mentors that you want to walk through just to keep and I do. the recording so, for your memory sake? Right, so I had um, Mrs. Stokes um, in year one. I had Miss DeMonte in year two. I had Mr. Hamlin in year three. Miss Nixon in year four. Then I had Mr. Clutton in year five. And I had Mr. Shigarov, year six. Yep. And then in the senior school, I had, as my mentors, uh, Mr. Coventry in year seven. Yep. Uh, Mr. Homan in year eight. Um, and then in the in the house system, I had Mr. Begley um, in in year nine. Um, and he he left. And then I had Mr. DeLacy during the, yeah, those latter years. Um and yeah, now he's he's moved on. But yeah, those were the really important people, and obviously Miss Patton is my head of house. Really strong group of teachers. You've been yeah, very very lucky. Definitely. So I guess now as an adult who's now left the walls and fields of saints, any reflections on what are the common characteristics or qualities or traits that have defined the great educators who have most influenced you? Well, I think each one is so different um, in their style. Um, but I think the two that kind of stood out most to me was Mr. DeLacy and then also Mr. Hamlin. So I'll start with Mr. Hamlin. He was my year three teacher. Um, and for me, he was just the embodiment of resilience. Um, and that was, I guess, a core value that really stuck true to me. So at the start of the year, his wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and she was quite unwell. Um, and I remember him kind of trying to power through because he wanted to be an inspirational educator. He wanted to be someone that was able to inspire us, even though things probably weren't going the best for him. Um, and I remember halfway through the year, his wife passed away, um, which was a very sad moment, probably something that we couldn't comprehend when we were just eight years old. Um, but it was something that I guess the way that he was able to, to rebound, even though his heart had probably been shattered um, from what was a really traumatic experience. He was able to still come to school, um, empower us, inspire us. He would tell us stories about his wife and about his children and about the things they had done. Um, and just to be able to 
continued to be an inspiration to us, even though he had probably gone through one of the darkest periods of his life, was something that I'll never forget and I'll be forever grateful for. Um, that year was one that was particularly, um, I guess, strong for me academically, and that was because he had been such a such a pillar of support throughout the whole way, even though he had probably gone through one of the darkest years of his life. And that's something that I'm yeah, forever grateful for. Yeah. And then, yeah, Mr. DeLacy, um, look, he was just inspirational. I remember thinking the first time I met him, oh, I'm not really so sure about this this guy because um, I'd had Mr. Very Begley. enthusiastic. I'd had Mr. Begley as my previous mentor <laughs> and he's obviously like a science guy mm. um, and I'd been wanting to do a science-based like career. I wanted to get into medicine. I wanted to do all these science subjects and I was like, oh, I've got this PE teacher. I don't really know much about him. <laughs> I've never had him before for anything like that. Um, but no, he lived up to everything I could have ever hoped for in a mentor. He was he was truly great. I think he was just after your time because you left in 2019. I knew him. And then he, he was, came yeah. into Hawks, oh, I yeah. think, yeah, the year after you left. Sure. Um, but no, he put in a, a really great contribution to our mentor. He made this really positive culture that I think we didn't really have too much in um, in the years before. Maybe that was just because I was Probably all my fault. No. <laughs> <laughs> But he was, the correlation is that I left the school and the positive culture came. <laughs> you started the house-wide positive culture, though. And that is, that is, I guess, Hawks, after you left, we never won anything, but we would have won the culture award if there was one. <laughs> um, but no, Mr. DeLacy, he was, he was great. Um, I yeah, still keep in contact with him occasionally. I spoke to him the other day um, when I was at the... Spock cricket. Um, he was there teaching athletics on the side, and I just had a chat with him. Um, and no, he's now been successful to get a head of house position at the school as well. Which house? Um, with McDermott, nice. and they're currently top of the George Murray Shield table. So I think he's done a great job, and he really deserves anything good that that comes for him. That's wonderful, and I think these are you know remarkable educators who um, get up every day to 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 serve and to embody the very values and to build building young men um, in, into one of service, kindness, character, compassion, you know, the things that you have mentioned. I, I do think I, I really love always hearing about kind of your reflections on the goodness of other people. And that was something that I really enjoyed when I was chatting with you at school, you know, we would sit, you know, I've just bumped into you at the sports center or after music rehearsal or generations in jazz or just in front of mem hall um, just to hear about all the different people and how they're touching your life. And not only that, I think what has always impressed me about you is how you then try to pay it forward. Then you try to be that same type of person for other people. And I know that you've helped many, many um, younger students start their own service project. Um, like at least 20, 30 younger students who you've you know personally mentored, even though you had very significant studies. Would you like to talk about what the process was like in helping others start their own service learning journey? Yeah, so I think it's very different being someone that's getting involved in service yourself and mentoring other people. Um, but I think that as I kind of developed um, and matured as an individual, I was, I guess, more and more inclined to help others get started. Um, so I think a good example was the Red Zone Crisis Appeal. We ran a couple of fundraisers. We ran um, an awareness raising um, initiative at Muster as well. Um, and that was with five um, 
current year 10 students. They were in year seven and eight at the time. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, a really, I think it was a good stepping stone for me because it taught me that being able to inspire others is really difficult. Um, and I know I mentioned all of these mentors that were so inspirational to me. And then also like yourself as a, as a peer mentor, I guess. Um, being able to inspire others isn't something that comes easy. Um, and I think just taking the time to speak to others, um, I guess, get a bit of exposure to what their experiences are and their perspectives and how they see the world. That's something that's, I think, really unique about, about being a mentor in the service learning program that you don't really get from anywhere else. Because I guess if you're the leader of a club or a society, you may not be able to you may not be able to get those perspectives by talking um, because it's not really like a global or an, an outward thinking endeavor because this was a humanitarian issue. I was able to speak a lot about their views on, on humanities and on society. And I think that's something you would have definitely gotten um, in terms of perspective with your studies at Cambridge. And I know you were talking about how everyone has their perspectives. They're all these really driven and ambitious individuals. Um, in a humanities field. And I think that's something I really enjoyed. Um, and I, I really want to keep keep that going in my career because many people think of medicine as this real, like, scientific method and scientific career. But I really think of it as more of a humanities than a science. It's about making human connections, about thinking of ways to solve health problems in the world. Because if you can, if you can help one person, that's great. But if you can help more, that's even better. And I think that's what I really want to be, an inspiration to others that, that kind of understands the human perspective and, and the way that people view different things. And that's something that, yeah, I really want to, to look forward to in these coming years. I love the word inspiration because I think we all resonate with people who are inspirational and moments of inspiration and ideas of inspiration. Um, but also it's quite a nebulous and subjective concept right and and it's it's something that we all know but yet it's difficult to pinpoint in words but when you think about your journey and you know some of the people who have so-called inspired you and obviously everyone brings different parts of inspiration do you have any like concrete examples of when or how those inspirational moments or interactions occur and why were they moments of or acts of inspiration so again that's a very complex question to unpack but i actually think inspiration doesn't really hit you until after the event and that's something that i've come to learn quite a lot and i think a good example of that was my my year 10 camp everyone says oh year 10 camp is so great you learn so much you get all this time to reflect um and i did find that but i felt that i didn't really understand it until well after the event looking back a year later, two years later. Um, that was one of the real highlights of my of my time at Saints. Um, spending yeah, a couple of weeks just out of the school, um, just in the in the surrounding South Australian area, just kind of enjoying some time to myself and some time with my peers. Um, and it was just having those conversations with my other my other mates from from Hawks because we were doing it in houses, and it was a really a good opportunity to reflect. Um, and that's something I learned, um, is that inspiration can really come from anyone. It's not like there are these like people that are all of a sudden so inspirational and you have to find them. 
it's more so anyone can be inspirational. It's just a matter of how you interact with them. And if you can find a way that inter- of interaction that suits you and suits them. Um, and I learned so much about so many different people in that camp, people that I may not have talked to before, I may not have had much to do with before. Um, but I, I learned about them in a completely different light. And I learned so much from that experience. Were you a confident student, kid? You know, are you conf- were you confident? I, I would say I wasn't really confident in myself. Um, look, I tried to be kind of outwardly confident, if that makes sense, but I never really felt confident in myself. And I think that's something that I'm still working on now. Um, what I always gave you confidence then? I'd probably say, I guess, reflection and talking to others gave me confidence. Um, and I had a, yeah, a group of friends that was very open in year 12 and we'd talk to each other about our problems, things that we're, that we're worried about, things that we're really happy about. And I guess that mix of like the highs and lows made it really um, easy to get a realistic perspective of things. And often this negativity bias kind of goes out the window once you start talking about your problems. Um, because what may seem like the end of the world to you, to someone else, it might seem like just a small blip in the radar. And I guess having that perspective to talk it out with other people makes things a lot a lot more rational. I guess. So I'm assuming that if you were trying to be outwardly confident, but you knew, of course, that inwardly you were still working, as we all are, I think, um, does that mean that when you were an older student yourself and when you then see the younger student, you can recognise, A, some people, some students are, are really perhaps struggling, while others, even though they appear to be fine, may also benefit from some encouragement and kindness. How did, I guess, your own evolving um, confidence and alike influence your leadership? for the next group of people. Yeah, so I think being someone that was always quite nervous and quite, as, as I said in that discussion on the phone, yeah, I was. I said I wasn't stressed, but I yeah. definitely, <laughs> definitely was. I think that's a, yeah, a good example of me kind of trying to hide it. Um, but I think what I've learned from that is that everyone's going to have rough times in their life um, where they need help, they need support, they need to talk to someone. And it's about identifying that in other people. Um, and I've learned that quite a lot in this kind of, um, this period now, the year 12s currently, they're all, all the ones looking to go into medicine are taking their UCAT exam. Um, it's probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done was sitting in the UCAT. And what these guys do is every day they do a mock exam and they get a score from that exam. And it's either a score that's good or not so good. And it's completely normal to have an, an immense spectrum of different scores. Um, an immense spectrum of different performance. And these kids, I'll go to the old scholars tutoring the saints and I'll be like, how's everything going? And they'll either be on top of the world or they'll be at a really rock bottom place just because of, of this really stressful exam. And it's because it's the weeks leading up to it. And I think just taking the time to speak to all these kids, I can really tell when they're down and when they're, and when they're really like at a high. And it's just about trying to find a balance of trying to be supportive and encouraging, but also give them really tangible and realistic advice to help them improve. Um, because I was that kid that had a goal at the start of last year to get into uni to study medicine. And I can see that in all of these kids. And it's, it's about being a mentor to them um, so that they can achieve all of their goals in the way I was able to. Um, and just try and 
I guess, encourage them to strive for their best, but also support them in areas that they definitely need. Because I think year 12, in hindsight, it may not be the end of the world and in the trajectory of your entire life, but it is a very stressful experience and one that you can't get through alone. What's the most impactful act of kindness you've ever given or received that is not well known? It's a tough one. Um, so I guess the the one that I've received definitely um, would be um, an act of, of kindness from Mr. Lacey, my mentor. He um, he took an hour out of his day um, when I was on a particular day. I wasn't feeling that great about myself. I'd had some. Um, some personal struggles and he took an hour out of his time just to sit there and, and chat with me about life and um, I think I'll, I'll never forget that I just sat in his office and, and just talked um, and I can't remember what we talked about but I remember that I left there feeling much more positive about myself than I did when I, when I was there at the start and I think and that was in, in my year 12 it was at a time when I was quite quite down but I'll, I'll never forget the act of kindness from him um, given and in terms of it's it's hard to find or to identify, I guess, acts of kindness that you've. Um, but one that I think I didn't actually realize until until probably the end of the um, end of the year at graduation was my mum said to me, "Oh, I've had about fifteen different parents come up to me and say, oh, Daniel was such an inspiration. He was able to like mentor and, and help all of like help my son, help with this and that.'" And I was kind of thinking about it. In year 12, I really wanted everyone to achieve their best, which is quite counterintuitive with the whole idea of an ATAR being like a ranking. Um, but my, my friendship group, we really like inspired each other to perform at our best. And I think it was one of the best SACE results across the board that Saints has had um, in that we had, I think, six people with 99.9 or above in the SACE cohort, which is really quite remarkable. Um, and it was just helping others with their schoolwork if they asked for help. Um, without expecting anything in return. Um, and that was if if I was on top of an assignment, but there were other people who had perhaps left it to the last minute, just being willing to talk it through with them, like explain things um, and have like discussions with them and stuff like that. I think that was something that I really didn't realize that I was doing until, until other people thanked me for it at the end of the year. And I think that's something I really want to be, be able to do. I want to be in a position that I can help others without expecting anything in return. Um, and maybe that was well-known to other people, I'm not sure, but it wasn't really well-known to me. Um, and that was very humble of you. I'm, I'm not at all surprised. And I think, um, I'm, as I've told you many times, I think lots of people think um, incredibly highly of you. And it, I think it's always a... Um, it's always worthwhile to see who's saying good things about you and... I think a sign of someone who's doing great things is when he's helping out people who can't really directly help him back. You know, it's easy to be nice to a teacher. It's easy to be nice to someone, a coach who will be able to immediately give you certain things, but, 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 but to help out the younger students, to help out those vulnerable and struggling within the wider community, I think is a sign of, um, genuine compassion and it's something that um, we should all um, strive to do more of and I, I definitely hope to be more of that kind of man myself and I don't at all claim to have reached that level um, all the time just yet but I think 
the fact that I just hear younger students and those who are struggling talk about you. I think that that was when I realised, well, he's actually very serious about um, service and in this, he's so serious that it's just habitual, right? It's just not something that you feel like is out of the norm, but when exactly. that becomes a habit, it really just elevates people who you don't even expect. And it's quite beautiful. Life is such a web of different relationships and communities and interaction and energy. It's, yeah. it's really nice. Um, I know that things have worked out really well. Um, you, you probably feel like you're exactly where you want to be with all the opportunities that you've had. Um, and in fact, um, obviously we talked about the privilege and the gratitude of a saints education and the opportunities that come from it but i think it can if we're not honest with our struggles and vulnerabilities it can also get to a bit of like toxic positivity where oh you're meant to be happy every day you're meant to look at everything and go that was completely right and that was completely good i know that you've not always i guess been recognized um not always had things gone your way um, i think both of us can resonate with that um how do you deal with, I guess, disappointments, unfairness? Because life isn't always fair. Like you can be, you can rec- we can recognise our privilege roles to recognising certain parts are just not quite fair. How do you deal with situations like that? Yeah, I think that's a, a tough one for me to answer because I, I, would, I did mention I don't have any regrets about my time as saints. But I would say dealing with disappointment was probably one of my biggest regrets, I guess, looking back. I think I didn't really deal with disappointment in the best way. Um, And I think I was someone that often was very impressionable. I would get really elevated by the highs and I would get quite down because of the lows. And I guess that's something that I need to kind of get used to is dealing with disappointment and happiness um, in a kind of composed way. Um, And I think that's something I hope will evolve um, as I mature as an individual. Um, But I think dealing with with disappointment is something that really depends on each situation. Um, Because what I've come to learn is that human beings will respond completely different in completely different situations. Um, And it's it's very unpredictable. but I think that kind of having, again, I, I feel like I've said this a lot of times, but having people to speak to is so important. And I remember probably one of the biggest disappointments um, that I had at the end of year 11, I remember having a chat with you. Um, I sat and had a coffee with you in the um, City Cross in Ronald um, just before starting Sony Camp. And I remember that was a really meaningful conversation to have with you um, just because... I needed someone to talk to and I wanted someone that would be understanding. And it was a little bit difficult at that time to find someone else that was understanding um, because a lot of my friends couldn't really empathize with me in that particular moment in time. Um, so I do really, I really appreciate having that chat with you as well. It's something that I, I really remember um, quite well. Um, Thank you. And yeah, I think the things that we talked about, um, not only, I guess, I resonated, I think I benefited when I went through similar things of just having that perspective from older students who had gone through it. So I guess it's not a singular thing, but obviously we are all biased to see things through our lens and 
and and I think it is true that um, things don't always work out the way, definitely don't work out the way we always want it to. But I think it always it doesn't always work out the way that it should, at least in the immediate sense. Um, so I guess with a bit of maturity now and reflecting on what you've gone through as disappointments, unfairness and all that kind of stuff, a, a common situation at Saints would be, you know, there are scarcity, you know, as mo- most things are, where you have a remarkable number of students who have done a lot, um, both that are recognised and unrecognised acts of kindness, service, um, we all have within us a degree of selfishness, but we also have within us a tremendous scope for generosity and just kindness and just goodness that yeah. um, is solely focused on other people. Um, but take leadership as an example where at Saints you have, what, 10% of the cohort being prefects, which yeah. you get to wear a white blazer, and as much as people don't like to admit it, it is a degree of status, it's a degree of recognition and prestige and it's a memory that, you know, is a nice thing to have and I yeah. would assume that when you talk about regrets, you know, you, yeah. it would have been quite nice to be able to graduate yeah, with a white blazer and I, th- I don't think it's bad to admit that yeah. uh, I definitely wanted one, you know. Um, so I guess when it's only 10% and it's like, this is just the ratio here, but in life there are different ratios that are even worse. You know, in medicine, perhaps there's only half a percent. Yeah. So for every, you know, one person, there's up to 100 people. And maybe not all 100 people are well qualified, but you definitely have lots of people who miss out. Is there any general recommendations or observations or realisations or reflection about that, um, this sort of situation where you deserve it, but it just didn't work out. I mean, sometimes things are out of your control. And I think I, I think it's important to recognize that, I guess, this idea of everything happens for a reason. Does um, it? I, I think that, well, that's something that I kind of, I believe. Um, and I feel that hopefully in life, more good things will happen to me than bad things. Um, and it's, it's kind of this balance of luck. Um, and at least I hope that happens. It may or it may not. Um, but I think not getting bogged down by these kind of things is something that's, um, something that's quite important. Yes, it would have been nice to graduate with that memory, to have that experience. And I probably won't be able to have an experience similar to that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that's the way that things worked out. Um, and yeah, there's not much that I can do. It's kind of out of my control. Mm. The reason why I think I'm comfortable bringing it up, I guess, for two reasons. Number one, I know you're someone who values personal growth and part of personal growth is confronting challenging moments and challenging situations and almost at times being honest about how you felt, good and bad. Um, but I think the second reason why I'm so comfortable bringing it up is that, um, you know, in, in the context of like a legacy-worthy interview, this is a significant turning point. And for you, it's a turning point, I think, in the sense that nothing's really turned. And what I mean by that is it could have been quite easy for you to just go, I've done all of this, you know, Lots of people can see it, lots of people recognise it. 
it's clear that this environment, or at least at that moment, it doesn't feel very appreciative of me. And therefore, I have a right almost to quit and I have a right to then look out for myself more and just to hide in my bubble and to be a bit more selfish and all that kind of stuff. But I think what's so remarkable about your past year is that in spite of the, I, I, I would assume you still at times feel a bit of pain and regret, um, but you're still able to be a bigger person and go, okay, well, that wasn't great for me. That didn't feel great. Part of it probably unfair, but I can still serve. I can still help other people. I'm still going to take on these additional projects. I'm still going to volunteer. I'm still going to um, do these service projects and help others begin all without that formal recognition. I think that's probably the main reason why I'm so comfortable bringing it up with you and I hope you don't mind me opening up an old wound. (laughs) Um, I guess, again, in the context of giving your legacy with the interview, a a snapshot of where you are now and hopefully a piece of recording that you can look back on in 10, 20, 30 years' time with great meaning, is there anything else that you want to be mentioned in the recording or else I've just got a few to wrap up? I've just got some um, rapid-fire questions, so you just got to answer them um, fairly quickly. Who do you text the most? That's a tough one. I'd probably say my sister. Um, Yeah, I just try and, I don't know, um, keep in touch with how things are going with her, make sure she's okay. She's going through the high school experience now as well. Um, Actually, I don't don't text a lot of people because group chats have kind of taken over a lot of... (laughs) A lot of stuff. So I'm in lots of group chats with smaller amounts of people with different groups, different um, different communities, and I think that that kind of dominates my kind of texting world. Is your sense. bed made at the moment? It is. Yes, back in Adelaide. I always well, not love, back in Adelaide in the UK. Yes, in the UK <laughs> as well. It is made. Yes, okay. I always love coming home to a, a clean room, clean bed, so everything's all ready for that and I know that when I get back to Adelaide I'll be terribly jet lagged so I'll want to hop into bed straight away and sleep um, finish the sentence the way to my heart is kindness do you have pets? I do not would you ever want to be married? I think so if, if I can find the right person do you believe in ghosts? I do not um can you freestyle rap? I cannot freestyle rap. <laughs> Don't want to do I a can, demo. No, I can say that with 100% confidence. I cannot freestyle rap. <laughs> um, questions, there's two options. Um, okay. Love or friendship? I'd say friendship. Yeah. Um, salty or sweet? Probably sweet. Morning or evening? Morning, 100%. Driving or flying? Driving. Street smart or book smart? Street smart. Um, What is your last Google search that you're comfortable with? (laughs) (laughs) My last Google search was Notting Hill Gate to Farringdon. (laughs) Definitely looking for the tube map because I cannot read those complicated maps with all the... All the lines. It's just too many lines, too many colours. Just... <laughs> What's your favourite pun? My favourite pun? 
Actually, not sure. I can't think of many off the top of my head. I guess to wrap up then, a bit longer then, um, I know family means a tremendous deal to you and they've helped you. Um, they've given you unconditional love. They've sacrificed so much for you. They continue to, che- uh, to continually cheer for you. So I, I believe you got your sister, your mum, your dad as your immediate family in mm-hmm. Adelaide. Um, again, it's a legacy worth into so just keeping the recording. Why don't you give them an overview of each of them and just say some words of thanks to okay. keeping this um, in yeah. order. And do you speak um, other, any other languages? Not really at home, no. Okay. Uh, my family, um, oh, my dad's from a Tamil-speaking background. My okay. mom's from a Hindi-speaking background. Do you want to give an overview of, of just who they are to as, as much detail yeah. as you want to, yeah, sure. just for their sake as well? Um, yeah, so um, my mom has been a real inspiration to me um, just over the years. Um, She's never pushed me. Um, I've always been an internally driven person, but she's always supported me. Um, and I think the, the best example of that is she actually had some time off because she's on long service leave at the moment to allow for this trip to the UK. Um, and she actually took the time to help me study for my um, medicine exam. Um, so she's a doctor. She's been a doctor for many years. So she knows all the content in and out. Um, and she's a teacher now at the uni as well. But she was able to take that time to help me revise, help me study when I was quite stressed because it was my first ever uni exam. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I think, yeah, that's something that I'll, I'll never forget from her. Um, my dad, um, I've shared some really great moments with him. I just got back from going to Leeds with him for the cricket. Um, I love talking to him about cricket, talking to him about life, talking to him about anything in general. Um, He's always been a great friend and a great mentor and support to me. Um, and I'll yeah, really appreciate that. And, and then finally, my sister, Sonali, um, she, she always keeps me grounded, always keeps me thinking rationally. When I'm stressed, she's always there for me. Um, she's a good friend, always there to talk to. Um, yeah, and I really hope to have a, a really good, sustained um, friendship with her as, as the years continue. And I hope we don't grow apart as I get older. That's beautiful. Second to last question, um, what's, in your opinion so far, we've talked a lot about the highest and lows that we face and, you know, you talk about, you know, sometimes you get too high on the high and too low on the lows, and but yet you recognise that this is the general kind of human condition. Yeah. So what, in your opinion right now, perhaps it's a religion, perhaps it's a school of thought, perhaps it's a philosophy, perhaps it's a character in a movie, perhaps it's a movie, it's a book, whatever it is, what, in your opinion so far, best diagnoses the human condition, the common threads and experiences of life that we all seem to go through? Or what is closest to capital T truth? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would probably... That's a tough one. Um, I guess, so, my mom's family is from, like, a Hindu background, and they have a real belief in this reincarnation, rebirth, and a cyclical, I guess, way of life. And I think the idea of of karma and having every action, having a reverberation that may or may not be visible is something that I definitely stand with. Um, I like to think that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And I don't mean that in in a selfish way, as in wanting good things to happen. Um, but I hope that the people that do good things will be rewarded. Um, and I think that's something that's common to almost every religion is that if you do good, 
good things will happen, whether that be in rebirth, whether that be in, in heaven, like Christians um, believe. Um, and I think that's something that yeah, I really resonate with. Um, and I like to see when good things happen to good people because it makes me feel quite happy inside. That's wonderful. And final question with the context of all the things that you have um, been through, you know, um, growing up in a medical family um, with your sister, going through school at Saints, um, but having these very um, inspirational educators, not least your year three teacher, you know, going through um, the passing of his wife, but yet still courageously standing up to um, to to serve and to carry out his duties and to inspire um, all the different um, experiences that you have had at school, um, not least you know academically, um, getting like ninety nine point two five at the end of year eleven, finishing with a ninety nine point nine, very high UCAT score, getting into medicine. Um, extracurricular, you know, doing four different instruments up to 20 different ensembles, reaching like Big Band One. I think you were in the sax quartet, orchestra, choir, etc., etc. Um, doing like debating, coaching, debating, refereeing, cricket, soccer, playing them as well. Um, you know, um, going on all these different trips, like generations in jazz. Um, doing public speaking as well. I think you were a finalist in the WH Irwin, um, year seven, year eight. Um, your service learning endeavors, you know, going on that trip to Fiji, um, having that trip reaffirm some of the earlier realizations and experiences you've had with like, you know, the phone call from your uncle about the kidney failure, um, taking on the different um, project. I think you were one of the youngest recipients of the white certificates, a 20 hour service as a year seven student. Yeah. Broke my record. <laughs> um, one of the first recipients of service learning medal, which requires you not only to do 150 hours, which you well surpassed, but more that um, you carried out your own project outside of the school community, but was able to help somebody else begin their own service learning and they think the ripple effect of all of that is quite um, significant, you know, going on and also your experiences growing and reflecting, say, on the year 10 camp, um, not wanting to do it initially, but now really finding the value of spending intimate time with a group of people who you thought you knew, but actually when you spend 24-7 with them for 21 days straight, you get to see a very different side of them, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, and also, I guess, having aspiring for leadership, which I think is really good to have that kind of ambition to serve in a formal capacity. Um, missing out on a white blazer, you know, missing out on a prefect role that you perhaps really, really wanted and I, I think um, really deserved as well. Um, but then also recognising that there are things that are just simply outside of your control and there are lots of very worthwhile um yeah, there, there are lots of worthy people who have put a lot, but not everyone can get it. But that knowing that fact doesn't really help yeah. you in that moment at all. Yeah. Um, you know, having the chats, you know, that we have had all around the school, on the lawn, on the bus, everywhere. But then also you helping out the other kids and just now starting a medical school and coming here for a holiday. And when you tie all of that together, what's like one message, quote or saying that you wish every 
teacher, coach, leader, doctor, professional would advocate and or would promote and every child would internalise your message to the world, summarised, condensed. I think if you can be anything in this world, be kind to others. Thank you so much, Daniel. And it's been such a pleasure to see your growth. And Thank again, you. what I admire most is just how you continue to be kind and to serve others, even when things don't go, go your way and when people don't always recognise the work that you put in behind the scenes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting to you today. It's brought up a lot of memories that I might have forgotten about a little bit, but it's been a good, good reflection. Yeah. That kid who wasn't stressed on the phone call. <laughs> Come a long way. <laughs> right. Thank you so much.